Welcome to IQVIA's AI for R&D Leadership podcast series. This episode focuses on design analytics and how they can be used to assess study design decisions and identify risks prior to protocol approval. Tammy Wynn, Clinical Planning and Design Analytics Director, is our featured speaker. Welcome, Tammy. You are a huge proponent of investing in upfront optimization to minimize the risk of costly protocol amendments. What are some ways to mitigate this risk? Thank you for having me today, Susan. If it's all right, I actually want to take a step back for a moment and quantify how protocol amendments impact the drug development industry today. A recent Tufts study revealed that nearly 77% of clinical protocols, regardless of phase, have at least one substantial global amendment with phase two and phase three protocols having the highest prevalence of amendments at 89 and 82% respectively. And more than 70% of these amended protocols required modification of study procedures and trial designs. Clearly, these are very high percentages, but I guess the good news is if we pressure test protocols by applying design analytics during the development period, you may be able to minimize potential study risks and avoidable protocol amendments. So what is the potential impact of protocol amendments on costs and timelines? Study durations for protocols with at least one substantial amendment can take on average of at least three months or longer. This ends up costing the sponsor hundreds of thousands of dollars at least. You mentioned that protocol amendments can be minimized by pressure testing protocols. Can you elaborate what you mean by this? How do you pressure test a protocol? Sure. What I mean when I say, quote unquote, pressure test a protocol, it's applying design analytics to proactively identify issues with the clinical trial design before you execute it. Very much like taking a proactive approach and getting a thorough 12 point inspection for your car. So this is where I usually like to tell my own personal story to better explain the concept. In fact, Susan, you may even be able to relate to my story. My husband and I take very different approaches to our car care. I follow a well-planned maintenance schedule for my car to avoid seeing a service light and having unforeseen expenses for repair. I also always request a 12-point inspection versus the usual courtesy inspection they offer. My husband, on the other hand, is a completely different mindset. If his car seems to be running fine, he sees no need for maintenance or proactive inspections. Clearly, Susan, you're probably thinking my method has a lot of upfront costs in both time and money to complete these routine maintenance checks. But from my experience, it reduces my risk of having massive mechanical issues that likely will cost more money out of pocket just later on. So you'd be saving money by doing something upfront that costs a little bit of money to save more later down the road. Yes, exactly. So protocol design is like my car example it may end up costing you a lot more money and time downstream if you have an amendment or say experience recruitment and retention issues versus taking a little bit more time upfront to optimize the protocol. When can design analytics be applied and and what would they cover? Design analytics can really be applied anywhere along the protocol development continuum using a combination of data, analytics, and expertise. However, the types of analytics used and the level of impact varies at each stage. So not one design analytic will provide you with a thorough or comprehensive review, let's say, of your protocol. It's really a combination of all the design analytics together, interpreted by experts in the field, 
is where you'll yield the most value. Applying design analytics to pressure test your design decision even at least once before finalizing a protocol could save you a lot of time and money. There's five key areas that we evaluate with our service called the Data Informed Protocol Assessment. And here at Ikevia, we, we know it as DIPA, and that's design consistency, patient burden, study procedures, competitors assessment, and eligibility criteria. Someday we will go through each one in depth, but can you elaborate on a couple of the areas that you find most important? Absolutely. So let's go ahead and start with my favorite analytic, patient burden. I feel this is the one that has grown and developed the most uh, since we started the DIPA service. We found that assessing potential patient burden very helpful in optimizing the design of a trial. We do this both quantitatively and qualitatively. Quantitatively, we scored the protocol via patient burden algorithm derived from a survey we sent out that looks at a patient's willingness to participate in a clinical trial based on specific design elements of that trial. We then compare that score to benchmark data, which is essentially a collection of patient burden scores for studies where we've performed a DIPA on, and it's categorized by phase and therapeutic area, and depending if we have enough data, then we can do it also by disease state. And in fact, last year, we enhanced our patient burden analytic to highlight differences by race and ethnicity. And we're actually expanding our survey to a more global level this year. And where possible, we supplement this data from published meeting notes where organizations have held patient and clinician forums to discuss the patient's disease and its impact. We analyze how their feedback might affect the relevancy and attractiveness of the trial. That's great. Can you share an analytic where you would use real-world data? There's actually a couple of analytics where we do this. So using real-world health and claims data, the impact of a study's procedures can be evaluated. We can determine a patient's familiarity with a procedure and how the frequency of that procedure in the trial compares to what they would usually experience as part of their standard of care. So in a way, this allows us to quantify the additional burden the patient may experience by participating in a trial. We also use real-world data like electronic medical records to quantify the impact of key inclusion and exclusion criteria on patient prevalence, which helps reveal potential screen failure risks and recruitment challenges. All these results can drive discussions on how to ease the burden on patients and make them more likely to enroll or stay in a trial. How can the findings from the analytics be applied? For example, how can a patient's burden in a trial be eased? Sure, so let's say our qualitative insights show that both pediatric patients and their caregivers may consider home visits and electronic patient reported outcomes or EPRO to be an important aspect of participation. So incorporating these decentralized clinical trial solutions may thus positively impact their willingness to participate and may even increase protocol compliance. And by delivering studies directly to patients, in a sense, we make trials more flexible and hopefully can strengthen patient engagement as a result. Let me give you another example. Perhaps our patient burden analysis shows that the frequency of PK sampling in a study is a source of significant burden for patients, which is an actual result we concluded for a sponsor. Now, sometimes I'll be honest, we may identify aspects in a study that may be burdensome for patients, but that's just the nature of being enrolled in a clinical trial and it can't be changed. But in this particular example, our finding led the sponsor to reduce the PK sampling in terms of both frequency and timing with the post-dose sampling window shortened and the new design would still meet their study objectives while lowering patient burden. 
great example, Tammy. Thank you. What kind of results have you seen with this method of applying design analytics upstream from protocol finalization? I love this question. So of the thousand plus protocols we've reviewed or conducted a DIPA on, 96% had areas in protocol that were unclear or inconsistent. 83% had design elements that increased burden and 40% differed from competitors in trial design on key design parameters, such as the selection of primary and secondary endpoint, which again, may or may not be intentional depending on the overall clinical development strategy for that molecule or intervention. When we've applied design analytics protocols that were subsequently executed by Acubia, over 90% of these final protocols addressed a risk or finding surfaced by our assessment. Applying design analytics to pressure test decisions like we do with our DIPA service has proven to not only reduce patient burden, but also improve accuracy of study budget estimates, reduce study costs, improve patient safety assessments, and also help prepare sponsors for regulatory submission. I really could go on and on about the benefits of applying design analytics. That's very impressive. I'm curious, does your team have other solutions beyond DIPA? And if so, what are they? What's next? Yeah, we actually have a lot going on in the pipeline. So we've been building and expanding DIPA for the past several years, but it has never been intended to be a holistic end-to-end study design solution. So yes, we're growing our portfolio of design analytic solutions and moving beyond just DIPA and pressure testing protocols. We're currently working on additional packages or bundles of analytics, if you will, to support decisions across the design development continuum and really meet sponsors wherever they may be in their development process. Our solutions are also tech enabled, so we're focusing on further developing technology solutions that enable us to scale applied design analytics and automate the process more while also leveraging AI and ML. Our protocol digitalization technology will automate the extraction of specific content from protocol documents, while protocol analyzer will automate the analysis of protocol content and reporting. The vision here is to be able to upload a protocol into a tool or tools that will automatically extract and run the analytics that will then provide visualizations that one can access through a user interface. So in theory, a user should be able to rapidly compare different protocol versions across these design analytics. So there's a lot in development in just this year alone. So stay tuned on where we're headed next. It's been great having you today, Tammy. Thank you so much for your insights. I've loved learning about the application of design analytics and protocol development. Before we wrap up, can you give us the most important takeaway around reducing risk? Absolutely. If there's one key takeaway I want listeners to walk away with from today's podcast, it's this. Knowing a high number of protocols require at least one substantial costly amendment Investing in optimizing your protocol up front by applying design analytics is a great solution to reduce risk and ultimately increase the probability of success of your trial. Thank you for joining us for our leadership podcast around IQBIA's artificial intelligence and advanced analytics for research and development. We look forward to sharing even more insights on how data science is being applied to augment and accelerate the R&D process in future episodes. 